0: Senior Director of Education and Training at Cancer Care. Please go ahead.
1: Oh, thank you so much, Grace, and I too would like to welcome everyone to today's Cancer Care Connect workshop, Managing Eye and Vision Changes Related to Cancer Treatments. And I have to say, this is a very unique program. Um, It's actually something that um, we've been offering now for a couple of years, and I think that it's something that one doesn't think about when you're undergoing cancer treatments. And today's uh, program is supported by um, the Aline Roos Memorial Trust and GlaxoSmithKline, I really want to thank them for their support and collaboration in supporting today's program. Now, there are quite a few of you on the call today. We have over 205 participants on this workshop today. And you come from all different parts of the United States from both urban, rural, suburban, and frontier communities. And we also have international participants on the call today from Australia, Canada, Japan, and the United Kingdom. So it's really a global call as well, and it's a credit to each of you that you've chosen to spend this next hour with us. Now, before I introduce our first speaker, I do have a few questions I'd like to ask all of you. Um, we're planning many of our programs for um, this coming year, 2022, and it would help us to have a sense of what you know um, before the program begins so that way you can plan and be most sensitive um, to, you know, what your needs So I'm going to begin by asking you um, questions. And those of you who are live streaming the program will be able to see the questions, will be able to hear me ask, you know, I'll be reading the questions as well, and you'll be able to rate the questions as well. So the first question, on a scale of one to five, with one the highest rating and five the lowest rating, please select your rating. I understand common eye and vision changes related to cancer treatments, including cause and risk factors. One is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. And the next question is, I understand how to manage dry eyes, watery eyes, itching eyes, blepharitis, loss of eyelashes, floaters, and flashing lights. Again, um, one is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. And the next question is, I understand how eye products may help me manage eye and vision changes. Again, one is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. And the next question is, I understand how to manage low vision. One is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. And then this will be the last question. I understand the role of clinical trials in the management of eye and vision changes related to cancer treatments. One is the highest rating, and five the lowest rating. I wanna thank everyone for participating in these questions, it really will help us to improve our programs going forward. Of course, your feedback is so important to us. And now it's my great pleasure to introduce our first speaker, and our first speaker is Dr. Brian Marr. And Dr. Marr is John Wilson, SPMD, Professor of Ophthalmology, Columbia University Medical Center, New York Presbyterian, Columbia University Irving Medical Center. And Dr. Murr will be addressing an overview of common eye and vision changes related to cancer treatments in the context of COVID-19 and a series, cause and risk factors, discussion of common eye and vision changes, guidelines for eye examination and checkups, and clinical trials as a treatment option. It's my great pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Marr.
2: Thank you, Dr. Messner. It's a pleasure to be here. As uh, Dr. Messner mentioned, uh, I do ocular oncology at Columbia in New York City and have been doing that for the past 20 years, dealing with patients that have eye cancers and also dealing with people that have cancer and eye issues. And so I kind of want to Bias might talk to a little bit to the importance of the eyes. Um, you know, we when we get a, a cancer diagnosis, sometimes we're overwhelmed with you know all the, the emotional and and uh, stress related to that organ. And sometimes we forget about the rest of our bodies and focus so much on the cancer area that we, we neglect different parts. And the eyes are something that you know are very useful, as everybody knows. It's about 90% of your senses, um, and uh, it, you know it, it causes a great burden to your life if you don't have good vision. So, uh, you know, I'm biased. I think it's very important. From that standpoint, I'm going to go over a lot of the common things that I've seen that affect the eyes during the cancer journey and um, explain some of the causes of them, some of the things that you should be wary of, give you a few recommendations on kind of how to stay ahead of this, uh, and then give you a few clues of what to ignore and what not to ignore, um, because if you stay on top of this, you can make sure that any problems that do arise are taken care of properly. So first of all, before you get into cancer care, and I know it's a lot of people have tons of appointments and scans and other things that kind of go along with that including surgeries, but at some time, uh, it's a good idea to get a baseline uh, eye exam. And if you haven't had one before your treatment starts or uh, within the duration of your treatment, it's always good to get kind of a baseline normal for you and not wait until there's a problem because it really will help your eye care provider have something to compare to and give them kind of a, a, a time-related uh, um, point to compare to if, you, if something happens during your, your care so you can get the right diagnosis and so a baseline examination with your primary ophthalmologist i think is is really important um and have them do uh, you know a refraction meaning measure your prescription do a anterior segment slit lamp exam, which means that they put your face in this machine and look at the, all the different structures in the front of the eye. And a dilated fundus exam, where they actually put drops in your eyes and look at the back into the retina and the optic nerve. And sometimes they'll even perform photographs too that they can compare to. All those things are actually very important because there are a myriad of things that can happen during treatment. Uh, and it'd be nice to kind of compare of, uh, was it better there? Was it there before? Is it worse now? Uh, so that's one really key um, component of trying to take care of yourself is to try to get that baseline ophthalmological exam. The other thing that um, we can do is so what does happen during cancer treatment? What are some of the common things that that affect the eyes uh, across the board, regardless of your type of cancer? And then we can kind of get more specific. So a lot of a lot of problems with vision are related to the surface of the eye, meaning you know the tear film, the, the the just the moisture of the eye, because that really is kind of like the windshield wiper or window that the eyes use. And if there's a problem with the lubrication of that, then the vision actually suffers. And with everyone over aging, <laughs> as as we age, our um, tear production and surface uh, of the eyes gets uh, less productive than it has when we were younger and so if you go to the drugstore you'll see in the shelf in the eye section that there's tons of different products for for uh, lubrication of the eye or dry eyes and so it's it's not a a problem that's just confined to the cancer population but is very common in that population so the surface is very important, and Dr. Demerci today will kind of go into a lot of detail, so I'm not going to focus on that in this portion, but I'll go on and talk to the other things. But a lot of times, a lot of the medications or treatments or even just the stress on your body going through these procedures can make the eyes uh, dry, and that can directly affect the vision more than you would think, and you could have what we call reflex tearing. So Sometimes your eyes will water, and you're thinking, why are my eyes watering? The doctor says my eyes are dry, but they're watering all the time, and that's it's like a reflex tear. So what happens is the eye surface gets damaged from being dry, and the, the tear production gets increased, and it's kind of like a sprinkler system in a, in a building that has a fire. Once there's a fire, i.e., dry eye, then the glands produce excess tears, and you end up getting more tears because of the the dryness so it doesn't quite make sense when your eyes are watering that they're dry but that's a sign that they are but Dr. DeMersche is going to talk a little bit more about that um, but that is, is something to be aware of and it's easy to stay in, 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 ahead of other things is depending on what type of cancer you have there's different structures of the eye that can be affected um, you know people that get, are getting radiation in the head and neck area sometimes radiation can affect the eyes either by causing problems with the lens or causing cataracts to produce, to to uh, mature quicker uh, sometimes it can affect different structures in the brain uh, optic nerve or retina and that can cause vascular problems that can cause decrease in, in in the vision so there's there's effects of different types of treatments same with chemotherapies there are certain different toxicities that exist in different drugs uh, that can affect the eye directly and and usually if you ask your oncologist um, you know, what are some of the common side effects. If they're eye-related, they usually mention them. Luckily, there's not a lot of serious uh, eye um, adverse events from the chemotherapies, but there are a few, and usually your oncologist, if you ask them, um, they will suggest that, yes, this this has been reported, or they, they know of it. The other thing, uh, when you get your baseline exam, is to inform your primary eye eye care provider that you are on certain different medications because a lot of times some of the retina specialists or even just general ophthalmologists uh, are learned enough these days to know that certain medications may cause these side effects and they'll be uh, careful to check um, specifically for that drug. So come in with a list of your medications and say, hey, these are my cancer care, uh, my my cancer drugs. Can any of these affect the eye? And ask your primary eye care provider, because sometimes either they will know and and check those areas, or they won't know and refer you to somebody who can do that specifically. Um, So toxicity for medications is is a possibility. We talked about cataracts, so sometimes different treatments, even drug treatments can affect the lens in the eye, and that can cause blurred vision um and uh that can be surgically corrected uh, a lot of times um people that take steroids in in association with some of the chemotherapies that can directly affect the the refraction meaning the how the eye focuses and if uh, sometimes the steroids will cause the sugars in the blood to go high and that will cause the lens to swell and that will cause you to have a tempor- temporary change in your glasses prescription and blurred vision until those levels normalize and then it will return to normal. But if you don't know that that's happening, uh, it can be very concerning because you, know, you, you put your glasses on and now you can't read, but you used to be able to read before they gave you these steroids and you're like, what's going on? So you know that, those kind of things if you're not aware of can be really surprising and again that's a, that's a, one of the reasons to get a baseline examination because if you notice that your glasses prescription has changed rapidly you can compare back to what it was before you started those things or in the beginning before you didn't have those symptoms and they say oh yes well that was just because of the steroids or yes that's because the cataracts getting worse um so that's it's it's good advice to do um let's see Certain cancers also can affect the eyes directly. So in some of the common cancers, such as breast cancer and uh, lung cancer, uh, cancers can break off and metastasize and go different parts of the body, and sometimes they affect the eye. Uh, Luckily, it's not very common, but the most common type of tumor inside it is a metastasis from a cancer somewhere else. So again, a good baseline examination, or if you're experiencing a change in vision, then it's important that you get get checked because occasionally you can have retinal metastasis or brain metastasis or optic nerve metastasis that can affect the vision directly. And so, um, things to watch out for, I would say, my top four lists of things to be concerned about to go to the ophthalmologist or inform your primary oncologist to refer you to an ophthalmologist would be uh, dramatic change in vision right either blurriness or um, or loss of vision um, flashes or floaters where you actually see kind of lights flickering when there's no lights flickering or like somebody's taking pictures of you like the paparazzi and there's no no light source uh, an explosion of new floaters where you see little black dots that are floating by that aren't really there, Um, and if that happens all of a sudden, that's important um, to get checked out, and um, pain or irritation in the eye. um, Those are kind of things that shouldn't be ignored or put off and should be brought to attention to your primary oncologist or ophthalmologist. Um, Let's see, how much time do we have left?
1: Oh, just um, uh, to address the, let's see, um, the clinical trials as a treatment option. Um, Right.
2: No, we have enough time for that?
1: uh, Yes, absolutely. Yes. Okay. So
2: the clinical trials basically are new drugs that are brought to um, uh, investigation that are scientifically based on uh, improving outcomes on patients that have cancers, but they're not approved. And... A lot of these uh, medications are being explored for some of their side effects, so they don't have the known list of side effects that you would see with a, a commercially available drug. In those cases, those are those are where um, your either your clinical trial sponsor, or oncologist, will say, "All right, in animal models, this uh, medication was shown to have a problem in the eyes, uh, so you need to get." Uh, um, that evaluated, or this has been known in other patients to, sh- to have severe, eye, severe dry eye or something like that. And in that case, um, what they will do is recommend you get a baseline examination and then periodic examinations uh, throughout the course of the treatment. And that's kind of what I recommend even if you're not on a clinical trial. And that's why I was trying to make a point earlier is that. You know, the scientific way to actually evaluate eye problems related to cancer therapy is to get a baseline exam and follow it periodically throughout your treatment. And that's what's required by the clinical trials. Um, But for routine care, it's a good idea too. And that's why I was trying to impress that on you for that. But clinical trials will will have a host of different um, biologic activity that you're uh, oncologists will review with you and and require you to get certain types of uh, monitoring or treatments or uh, examinations prior and during the, the treatment. So it's important to, to do that. I think that teaches us a lesson of how to take care of ourselves outside the clinical trial realm.
1: Excellent. Well I have to say, Dr. Marr, this has been outstanding, just a wonderful, uh, wonderful presentation and really set the stage really for today's program. So I want to thank you very much for this um, outstanding presentation. Thank you so much. It's
2: my pleasure, and it's hard to cover all the things that happen in in such a short period of time, but I hope I gave a a little bit of an outline and some of the take-home points of get your eyes checked don't ignore signs and ocular signs and symptoms get them checked out uh communicate with your your oncologist and your ophthalmologist of medications you know uh, medical conditions tell them that you have cancer it's been diagnosed this is the kind it is this is how we treat it and that will help the communication between the eye care and the um oncology care
1: excellent thank you so much Dr. Monroe that's really these are wonderful takeaway points and um I think that our, our participants really appreciate it so thank you very much thanks so much. And um, our next speaker is Dr. Hakan DeMercy and Dr. DeMercy is Richard N and Marilyn K Wilson Professor of Ophthalmology and Visual Sciences Director Ocular Oncology Kellogg Eye Center University of Michigan Health. And Dr. DeMercy will be addressing tips to manage dry eye, watery eyes, itching eyes, blepharitis, loss of eyelashes, floaters, and flashing lights in the context of COVID-19 and experience, the role of a multidisciplinary team, key questions to ask your healthcare team about quality of life concerns, tips to manage low vision, and how eye products may help you manage eye and vision changes. It's really my great pleasure now to, um, to introduce um, my esteemed colleague um, and to bring him on board, Dr. DeMercy.
3: Thank you very much, Caroline, and uh, thank you very much uh, to all the audience that who joined us during this time, and uh, thank you very much for this opportunity again. So, in this time, I would like to briefly cover as the, the, the topics that you mentioned. The, at First, I want to start with the dry eye, as Dr. Manch, uh, Dr. Marr opened the get- gateway to the dry eye. This is a very common problem, actually, especially as we get older. The, the ocular surface, the surface of our eyes, starts to become much more drier. And then we start to have much more complaints like irritation, some, some kind of a scent feeling in our eyes. The light starts to get much more, bother us. And these are very common symptoms, especially the, as the humidity of the environment change. This, we start to have these problems and uh, much more commonly. And sometimes they might be really light that we might not notice it. But as the time passed, they might uh, be, really, or in some patients or in some of us, they might be really, really severe that start to interfere our daily life or our jobs and they can cause some discomfort. So the, I think in the management and then to evaluate for the dry eyes, one of the important thing is that the, how much it is interferes with your life. How much symptomatic? How much do you feel this irritation, something in your eye kind of a feeling? uh, How much it causes your vision to cause the decrease? Uh, So these are the the first starting point. If it is really light, if it is not uh, so, it could be light. it, It might not cause so much symptoms or it might cause heavy symptoms. So if it is causing like that, the light, then we start the evaluate a patient with the dry eye. We start with the first on the eyelid. Basically, we look at the your eyelid and the at the bottom of your eyelashes. You there is some there are some glands that contribute to our tear production and then to the surface of the the health of the surface of the your eye. And some of those glands are what we call Meibomian glands, which I don't want to give get into so much detail, but we, sometimes you can see that those, or some of us can notice that some redness, uh, some scaly appearance along the eyelid margins. That's what we call blepharitis, actually, and that could be the one of the reason of the dry eye. So for this kind of pain, if this is this blepharitis, what we call blepharitis, the redness along the eyelashes or the dryness is causing symptoms, and uh, it's starts to become symptomatic for the patients. What we manage them, like the easiest management is that the, what we call eyelid massaging. We, with, sometimes with a baby shampoo or sometimes when you are taking showers in the morning, just without using anything, just using with the warm water, just to massage your eyelid from up to bottom or from bottom to up in your eyelashes and just massage those glands. Can improve the secretion, and then the can improve the, some of the symptoms. And if you can just wash every day those scaly appearances on your eyelid, that can that can improve actually. And this can improve also at the same time the um, the dryness, the dry eye, or and it is related symptoms. There are some uh, like over the counter product, products right now. They like the eyelid wipes that you can easily use to clean that the eyelid margin, that the scaly appearance and then the blepharitis, that they are very easy. And I find that some of our patients, they really get some benefit from this eye wipes. Sometimes this glance can get a little bit like clogged, like the similar things what happens in our um, pimple, how it happens in our skin. Then then you start to notice those red spots on your eyelid. On your eyelid margin, like what we call chalazion or sty. And if that happens again, the warm compress and then the massaging could be the really good start. And in very some heavy cases, then you might use like some systemic antibiotics very, very rarely can be used, or some topical antibiotics can be used. But the simplistic solution is that's just the eyelid massage and then sometimes there's those eyelid wipes. This is one of the causes of the dry eye. The other cause of the dry eye could be from the ocul the surface of the eye, like the allergies, or the medications that we use, or certain diseases that we have, like the Sjögren syndrome or the other the other similar autoimmune disorders that causes the surface become much more dry. And then it becomes a really, really big problem for the patient. I think the the first step in the management of the eye on the ocular, on the eye is, for the dry eye is that the underlying cause Like we talk, I talk a little bit about this eye, eyelid margin problem the, the other causes are like that the allergies or the medications or the other immune autoimmune disorders if any of those things needs to be addressed before we start to treat the um, as a first step in the treatment of the dry eye the, the easiest thing in the dry eye management is that the first is the um, the, sol- the eye drops, the eye replacement tears that you s- that are sold over the counter in any uh, pharmacy or any supermarket? There are multiple types of it right now. I really like personally the ones without any preservative ones. They are daily single use or daily use. You know, you can get one or two drops out of it, and then you can just throw it away. And this is they don't have any preservatives. they don't have any side effects this way like they can uh be easy to use for the patients in recent years besides this artificial tear there are other prescription drops that starts to came into the market like these commercials like restasis there is another one Sequoia, i guess and these are there is these are one group of medications and there is another these are what they do, basically, they start try to stop the inflammation on the surface of the eye they um they're useful in some patients definitely they help to some patients, but I think they we usually go about like second or third line if we are going to go this kind of prescription either apps after we really really. Exhausted all our artificial tears, or addressing the other problems that can cause the dryness. Uh, in very very severe cases, like sometimes what we do is there is a tear drainage system that takes the tear from the eye and then to your nose, and then like we plug that tear drainage system. It is like your hair; it's very tiny, and then it's a, think about a sink that takes the water from the sink and then goes away and then so you just pluck the thing, so the idea is you can keep the water on the eye, so this way you can keep your eye, um, you can keep your eye wet. Uh, So these are the main things regarding the dry eye. A couple things I will say in these days, uh, one of them is that like, especially watching the TV, using the computer, or playing the video games, or all of those things, even reading, we usually forget to blink. So it's a good idea that if you are watching TV, reading a book, uh, doing some computer work, please don't forget to blink your eyes. That is the easiest thing. Your eye, like a curtain, just goes and then make your, the surface of the eye moist and easy. So we need to blink at least, um, like in every minute. I think it's about six to ten minutes, six to ten times a minute, but like sometimes when we read and when we concentrate, we forget and then that blinking rate goes to one to two. So the evaporation of that tear from your eye increases significantly. So the, that's the easiest thing to do. The second thing, especially in the COVID era, I think there are two things I will just say. The, the, the COVID uh, symptoms, symptoms in the eye is not that common. They are very, very rare. But we know that some of the cases especially they can come up with this the dryness, redness, and tearing kind of a symptoms, like when you have a common cold, that your eye becomes like more red, tearing. Those kind of things, I think, that could be the sometimes the early signs of COVID, but uh, but they are very very rare. And we all use masks in these days, and then the, the the all our breath sometimes goes from the top of the mask directly to our to our eyes, so. I will recommend to people that the, like there are some uh, just like push that the mask on your nose, especially if you have dryness, if you have using glasses, so that the, all the breath and everything is not going to go into your eyes and then make it more dry actually. And this is that the common, I think uh, that's the to, just to make your eye a little bit easier. Don't forget that the mask and the the, the, the tighten the top of the mask basically. Uh, these are the, like the common uh, these are very easy small small tips for the dryness and the the, wa- the watery eye so i'm going to go towards a little bit to the watery eye watery eye and then the flashes and floaters from there the watery eye the, your eye can water a couple of reasons the one of them is that there is lots of secretion of tear into your eye and that is that's the reason it waters but sometimes there's a tear drainage system that takes the tear from your eye and then gets into your nose and then sometimes what happens that tear drainage system is blocked for some for some other reason for some reasons and then the your, you might not take the enough tear from your eye and then that excessive tear goes away so i think sometimes when when the patients come with dry eye or they, the patients come with watery eye, and then when you tell them, "Hey, use the dry eye, use artificial tears," it just said they. It's a common response to get that, like, "Hey, my eye is already tearing a lot. Why do I need to put much more tear, artificial tear, in my eye?" So I think the dry eye can also cause that the, the waterness. So if you increase, because your eye wants to get wet, and then it. Stimulates all the old irritation and the tear production. So if you put some more tear, I think it might help for that the um, that the tear uh, the, the, the dryness. And then if, if the drainage is the problem, then the drainage. I think you have to um, that, then you might have some redness and swelling around the eye. In the, in the drainage is problem that need, you need to really see an eye doctor. Floaters and flashes of light is a very common thing that we see. Uh, after a certain age, as we get older, I think every, every, each of us develop these floaters and flashes of light. Just because, in our eye is not an empty space, actually. There is a one fluid. And as that fluid, as we get older, that fluid is less, become less transparent and then starts to become much more fibrillar. It is like a dry jello that I tell some of our patients. It's like a dry jello. So when you look at through it, you start to see the fibers in it. So, it is very common for the patients if they if they look at a bright light or if they look at a white surface that some things are flying inside the eye that's what we call floaters they are like if the the easy thing is that if you move your eye are the, if they are changing the position from one position to other position, then that's floaters and then and this gel that I mentioned to you inside thats we call it vitreous. And then as this vitreous, what happens is regularly it is touching your retina, and that vitreous can start to separate from the surface of the eye, which is a totally natural process. And during that separation, you can start to see flashes of light. When do we start to really get much more nervous and um, what should we watch? I think the most important thing is if you start to see lots of flashes of light if you start to see like a, lots of floaters get into your visual field, or if you start to notice that a curtain is coming from one or the other direction, and your vision, or if you notice that your vision is getting really blurry, these are the signs that the, you have to watch it, especially if you are a high near-sighted person, because we know that the, per, the people with high near sight, they have a higher risk of um, developing other more serious problems than just the floaters and flashes. What we call, like the serious, which is what we call retinal detachment. So this is the quick, the tips about dry eye and then the floaters and flashes. And then the second, a little bit, I want to talk about the quality life concerns, and then the quality and then what key questions to ask your healthcare team. I think. Quality of life is a little bit a personal question, the, and then personal question, and then in, it depends on from one individual to other individual, and then it depends on from one part of what speciality or what part of the body you deal with it, basically. So from as a person who deals with most of the, most of the time can, eye cancer patients, these are the I think the first of all the first question that you have to ask for an eye point that if you start from the eye the first point is that the vision problem like the decrease in the vision or loss of the vision how much it will affect your life how much it will affect the um, uh, your daily life your job this is the first quality of the life that you have to start, but keep in mind that we always have two, we have two eyes, and then even when we close one eye, that our visual field, the area that we can see is relatively a big area. So, so even like your vision starts to get decreased, or even you lost the vision or you lost the eye, you will notice that the, um, your, the things can get affected, but not that much. I just I just tell some of our patients that like hey there are if for example I'm in Michigan you can drive there is no problem you can be a pilot you can fly the your uh, your plane even there is some truck drivers with one eye so that's the the first question is that the, like that how much it will affect don't get scared but it will affect and then this, the the second question is that the, how much the the effect on the – and you have to always think about the big picture, especially if you are dealing with cancer, and and the, the – especially if you are dealing with cancer, because the, as we know that some of the outcomes may not be that good, so the, when we tell the patients that the, the loss of vision or the loss of eye, sometimes it might scare, and it might be really, really scare, but you have to think in the big picture that sometimes losing vision or losing the eye, in the terms of that the uh, treating the cancer, it's a kind of the balance of the life, and then the balance of the, uh, the you have to put everything in a perspective, and then I think keep in mind that the loss of the vision may not affect that your lifestyle that that much, except the that perception. And then, of course, the, the when you start to have the chemotherapy or radiotherapy, those are the other questions that like the systemic side effects of those uh, treatments when you are going through how much it, it, it will interfere with you and then how much it will affect your life. And then are you, and some of them, we do all these clinical trials and all of these things. I think that the, you have to put all of these things into perspective when you make the decision how much... Uh, is the, the how much you can, but and don't the, the, don't let the vision loss so much scare you at the end of the day when you are making those kind of decisions. Uh, Carolyn is is this uh, did, did I speak more than my time? I guess.
1: No, actually, one thing is just tips to manage low vision. Are there any suggestions you'd make for people? Okay, more,
3: the, the, let me talk about the low vision, the tips to manage.
1: So the, in these
3: days, like, first of all, luckily, the, one of the most common cause of the low vision is that the macular degeneration. But luckily, with the, the advancement of the treatments, that, that's improving. The couple things that the, I will recommend is that the easy solutions, like that the, in the patient's Increase the font of your computer your no. your phone or your clock or your watch. these are the easy things that you start so the, increase the font increase the font and then increase the brightness of the way you read that, uh, or your screen you can adjust the screen so these are the easy like that adjust the things and then the the one of the things is there is a really good occupational and then low vision specialist around right now these are these people work with you one to one if you are really if you start to notice that your vision is decreasing and it is really affecting your vision there are uh, low vision specialists around in the country i will recommend you that there are one or two in every state right now they work with them daily basis let them um, come to your home and then in your working space and then give you some tips this is um, that's one of the easy things that we do and there are lots of resources right now uh, for the blind people or um, or, uh, in the the society so uh, I think those kind of places will be very very helpful from the uh, for the from the low vision sites and luckily there are some new developments like that the we went through this artificial lens uh, we went through this artificial vision devices and then there are some no uh, some new other clinical trials coming into the picture regarding the uh, increased vision, basically excellent
1: well, I want to thank you so much, Dr. Demercy. That was a very comprehensive presentation. A lot of, a lot of important tips for everybody on this call, um, and and covered a lot of different um, um, treatment side effects issues that people might be dealing with, eye issues that they're dealing with, um, and how to work with the healthcare team, and and how to, in terms of low vision. So, thank you very much. Very comprehensive, outstanding. Uh, thank you so much. Um, and. Our next speaker is Dr. Stuart Fleischman. Dr. Fleischman is former founding director, Cancer Support Services, Continuum Cancer Centers of New York, author and researcher in oncology. And Dr. Fleischman will be addressing communicating with the healthcare team with telehealth, telemedicine appointments in the context of COVID-19 and its variants, guidelines to prepare for telehealth, telemedicine appointments, including technology, list of questions, follow-up care, and discussion of open notes. It's my great pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Fleischman.
4: Thank you, Dr. Messner, and hello, everybody. Um, as uh, our other speakers have said, this is a rather important topic, and as um, people with cancer are surviving longer, this is more of an issue because we'd like to preserve our vision to maintain our quality of life, as been said. So um, at first glance, it would seem like um, in these days of COVID, and we are recording this in January of 2022, so many parts of the United States and other parts of the world are still um, in the middle of um, of uh, widespread um, uh, COVID, we would think that perhaps one of the people who would not be able to help us remotely is an ophthalmologist. But indeed, we just heard about all of the known and usual and some unusual aspects of eye care that are connected to both cancer itself and cancer treatment. So in the hands of a knowledgeable specialist, many of the things that need to be done can be tried uh, remotely uh, before coming in for a formal eye exam, and um, the decision to do that is obviously between um, each patient and the ophthalm the consulting ophthalmologist and the oncologist. But it, it really uh, it is an opportunity to do more remotely than um, ever before. So communicating about any change in vision. Even if it seems um, kind of minor, is really important to your primary cancer treatment team. Your um, oncologist and the oncology nurse uh, should be sensitive to the fact that um, a small, uh, a report of a small change of vision is something that needs attention from a specialist. Some of the things like dry eye. Um, or a change in um, your focusing can be easily attributed to um, medications that we use, not just in chemotherapy or immunotherapy, but some of the medicines that we use for side effects, including nausea medicines, pain medicines, Um, And those things are pretty much – can be anticipated by the cancer treatment team. And often, uh, even before COVID, they may take a first pass at um, giving some um, symptomatic relief with some drops um, or gels or um, basic everyday um, help like just blinking your eyes when you're using your computer. Um, And then – ask for a consultation from a knowledgeable ophthalmologist. So communication of any visual change is really, really important. Uh, But many of the visits, as uh, we all know now, are done remotely, and that may be over a video link where you and the provider may see each other, uh, or an audio link similar to a telephone call where we're just communicating by voice um and preparing for those visits um can be daunting especially to those of us who are not um very comfortable or have not been using computers that much before the um covid pandemic so it's important to understand not only Uh, when the appointment is, what day, what time, make sure that if there's a provider in a different time zone, that the time zones are worked out so everybody is available at the same time, and how the visit may be made. Telehealth visits are sometimes made on a medical records platform, um, or a medical records system a platform would be synonymous for system in that in this in this case. So uh, most of offices will the day before contact the patient and make sure that uh, they know the date and t- the date and time and what device will be used. Um, the uh, The systems vary, uh, but they have a lot of commonalities in that uh, a device with a uh, camera and a microphone um, and a screen can offer actually rather good communication between the providers and patients and families. Um, Having families and those who uh, will help us keep track of questions or, or who may actually live in another city, another state, or even another country is a, an unusual opportunity that we found. Um, during uh, the days of telehealth because they can now participate in your care as you wish without traveling, without often taking time off of work. Um, And it's very, very helpful to have somebody you trust uh, on the call, keeping track of the information, asking questions, and uh, someone you can um, discuss the information that's been given after the call and make some decisions um, with someone who you trust. So that's been an unusual bright spot in these struggling times of moving from all-in-person visits to telehealth visits. So, um, as far as the, the technology, some of the uh, offices will actually do a dry run and ha- call through for uh, through this through whatever system they're using for you to make sure that it's okay. Um, the Good preparation for a telehealth is pretty much similar to what you would uh, have in an office visit, but a little uh, the complications change you don't have to travel, but you do need a quiet spot you do need a spot with a power outlet if you're using a device or a telephone line if you're using the telephone. Um, make a list of questions that you would like answered before the visit starts, because especially with the interference of unfamiliar technology, um, you can lose focus and then finish the visit without having your questions answered. Uh, and here again, a trusted family member, friends, even who live far away, can help you make up that question list um, more easily than doing it uh, on your own. So being in a quiet place, place that has good lighting, a place that has all the uh, access to the uh, electricity and phone lines and everything, or a good Wi-Fi connection so that the call um, can actually go through. Um, during the call, um, you may be, you sometimes may be asked to focus, if it's a video call, to focus the camera on um let's say your eye or mouth to so look at mouth sores and some parts of the body can actually uh, the uh, the uh, visuals are so good that actually a, 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 a an exam can be done uh, obviously many things can't be done but some things can be done and uh, we like to focus on 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 those Um, At the end of the call, make sure that you know what your follow-up is, if any lab tests or imaging have to be done, where they'll be done, who's making the appointments, uh, will the request be submitted electronically, those sorts of things, as you would leaving uh, the office. Often in uh, larger oncology practices, the oncology nurse or an office manager will help with those practical matters. Um, they're not necessarily on the telephone or on a video call, so it's important that um, that you're able to get that information before the end of the call or have somebody call you back in a planned way so that all of the information that you need for the next steps in your care can be completed. The other thing I'd just like to briefly mention is that uh, in many of the larger uh, cancer centers uh, or larger multi-specialty practices, Um, the uh, notes that the providers keep are no longer in paper charts but they're actually in an electronic database there are many advantages and disadvantages to that from the provider side but from patients and families it actually has opened up a way to look at your lab tests your imaging reports and sometimes even notes from your providers online This has been both extremely helpful and extremely problematic because most of us are not really trained to be able to look at a lab report or an imaging study and understand the nuances, Um, especially when it comes to lab reports. uh, Most lab reports from most laboratories all over the world are reported with um, a a finding, you know, a level of something, and then a normal range, a range that's to be expected. But during cancer and cancer treatment, there are a number of things that should be out of range, and if they're not, that's a problem. If the if the the time of that the blood sample was taken, for example, is right after a meal or fasting, that may that that will change the results. And if it's not fasting, it's expected. That that would be uh, perhaps outside of the range, or maybe higher than expected. So it's very hard for most of us to be able to really interpret these things and understand the fine points. And often, uh, patients and families get frightened. They see something as abnormal. Um, it needs to be put in context. So if you're um, able to access reports before the staff sees them, and, and some of the, in uh, some of the systems that actually can happen. Please don't panic. Please um, make a call or send an electronic message on the system, depending upon the, the setup, so that a provider can go over this with you may be the oncologist it may be the oncology nurse it may be a physician's assistant in the office Um, it may be an advanced practice nurse or nurse practitioner in the office but someone who understands exactly what's happening and can put these this information in context as far as imaging studies sometimes Small cysts are found or things uh, that uh, we're born with, we have our whole lives, but because we're not getting scanned all the time, we don't know that they're there, and it can be a real uh, time for panic for people. So please... um, read these reports with help from a provider who knows cancer and knows your situation because it would be really uh, misleading to just assume that and um, everything that's there is problematic. Some things may very well be expected and may be fine. So open notes are a blessing, but they have really been a challenge for patients and families and staff all alike but as we had to move to um, telehealth and a number of these uh, electronic uh, uh, helpers have come up along the way, we find that we're making sure that everybody understands exactly what's there and the significance of what's there, rather than just an, just a finding without any context. So I hope this will help you provide uh help help provide some information for your telehealth visits ways to prepare some homework things to come away with and i'm going to turn the um uh, call back over to dr messner
1: oh thank you so much dr fleischman um excellent presentation and um before we move on to the um uh we're actually um we're going to take questions in just a minute we're going to move on now to the um So just a few few questions I need to ask everybody, Um, and um, so I'm going to just ask those questions, um, and then we will um, give you all a chance to get your questions ready then, okay? So here we go. I'm going to just ask you a few questions as we conclude the program. As a result of what I learned in this workshop, I have greater confidence in my knowledge of common eye and vision changes related to cancer treatments, including cause and risk factors. One is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. And again, you can um, rate this. Those of you who are live streaming the program will be able to rate um, your responses to this. And we'll be able to see the questions as well. And the next question is, as a result of what I learned in this workshop, I have greater confidence in my knowledge of how to work with the healthcare team and use their suggestions to manage dry eyes, watery eyes, itching eyes, blepharitis, loss of eyelashes, photos, and flashing lights, one is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. And the next question is as a result of what I learned in this workshop, I have greater confidence in my knowledge of how to how eye products may help me manage eye and vision changes. One is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. And the next question is, as a result of what I learned in this workshop, I have greater confidence in my knowledge of how to work with the healthcare team to utilize their tips on how to manage low vision. One is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. And now the next question will be the last question. As a result of what I learned in this workshop, I have greater confidence in my knowledge of participating in clinical trials for the management of eye and vision changes related to cancer treatments. One is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. And now we're going to move on to your questions. And so, and I'm going to ask Grace to explain to all of you how to queue up for questions.
0: Grace? Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, if you would like to ask a question, please press star then 1 on your touchtone telephone. If your question has been answered and you wish to remove yourself from the queue, you may press the pound key. Those of you on the web may submit questions by clicking ask a question. Um, And we have a number of online questions. We're going to move to
1: those. Um, So for Dr. Marr, I've developed double vision eight years after AIM and radiation for high-grade undifferentiated uterine cancer. So far, I don't have any recurrence. Any tips?
2: So double vision, um, can everyone hear me? Uh, We're good? Yes. Um, Oh,
1: yes, yes. Okay. So um,
2: for double vision, you know, certain things can affect the muscles of the eye that move them in conjunction, and it can either be neurological um, or it can be mechanical. Uh, neurological means that the the nerves that affect the uh, muscles to turn the eyes together can be affected, and that can happen in the brain if if uh, some side effect happened in the brain in the nerves that connect the brain to the muscles, or uh, in the conjunction of the muscles to the to the nerves at their site. And so, or the blood vessels that feed the nerves. And so, if that happens, sometimes um, the neural damage can't be repaired, or it it can be repaired, but it recovers slowly and it doesn't recover completely. So, for double vision that's symptomatic, there's two ways to to um, address it. One is you could, if the change is permanent and it's stable you can get special glasses that have prisms in them and it it makes your vision single in one in in straight ahead vision and sometimes that's very helpful sometimes it's simple enough just to cover uh one of the eyes and that gets rid of the double vision um And in certain cases, surgery can be done to move the eyes back into position. However, if it's a neurologic problem or a mechanical problem, there are limitations to what surgery can do, and most of the times it's just managed with um, prism glasses. But it can be frustrating, it can be permanent, um, and the temporary fix is prism glasses, the permanent fix may be occlusion or um, muscle surgery.
1: Awesome. Thank you. And another question you, Dr. Moore. Are eye problems more common with treatments that include steroids, for example, when treating multiple myeloma or other blood cancers?
2: So steroids can have a direct effect on the eyes in three major ways. One, they can cause progression of cataracts that we mentioned earlier. Two, they can cause transient um, uh, refraction changes, as we talked about. And three, uh, they can cause... Um, intraocular pressure to be elevated and have a secondary glaucoma. And those are the three ways that steroids affect the eye. And it, and depending on, one, the patient's response to the steroids, because some people don't have uh, high incidence of steroid response glaucoma or... Um, or effects of steroids on the eyes more than other people. And the other is um, how long and how often are the steroids used. So for chronic steroid use, it's much more of a problem than it, than for just temporary use. So if you only are on steroids a couple weeks, every six months or something like that, you're not gonna see the chronic um, steroid complications. You'll maybe see the, the refraction changes or uh, some of the acute things, but nothing permanent. But long-term steroid users will have to be mindful and should get ophthalmic co-care when, when on long-term steroids.
1: Excellent. And um, another question for Dr. Marr. Um, after having lumpectomy on right breast in 2019, a regular eye examination in late August revealed I have wet macular degeneration in my right eye, have been having injections almost every month since September 2019. Good. In September, suspicious decisions from MRI led to a January 2020 diagnosis of cancer. Could it be possible that eye problem resulted from cancer?
2: So macular degeneration is much more common than metastatic disease to the eye. So odds are that uh, depending on your age and race and those things, there are certain higher-risk people that are Caucasian and elderly Um have a higher incidence of macular degeneration also with family history. Um, typically, most chemotherapies, treatments, and cancers don't cause macular degeneration, and they're probably coincidental. Um, however, other things can affect the, the vascular health of the eye, uh, and some medications like the anti-VEGF injections that you're getting can, tr- can treat the um, the effects of the Uh, macular degeneration, but typically, they're not one-to-one related.
1: And one more question. I have um, OM and have been referred for cataract surgery. For patients with OM, is cataract surgery a -a once-in-a-lifetime thing, or may I need it again in the future?
2: So the way cataract surgery is done is people have a native lens or the lens that you're born with, um, and a, a cataract is when that lens becomes cloudy in one way or another, surgically we go in and we leave, there's a, like a little bag that the lens stays in, or we call it a capsule. We remove the cloudy portion of that, uh, that's inside that capsule, or the, which is the lens, and replace it with a clear plastic lens. That will never come back. That The native lens won't come back, so you can't get another cataract. Some people say that, well, what happens is that little capsule that we put the new lens in sometimes will shrink around the the new lens kind of like a shrink wrap and it'll get little wrinkles in it and sometimes you'll have to do a small little capsulotomy which is a laser procedure that opens up that shrink wrap wrinkles in the lens that will help you see better so that's you know some people say that my cataract came back when that happens but really it's just the capsule that gets a little cloudy on it so no the answer is no you cannot regrow a cataract and have cataract surgery again
1: okay excellent um well um I want to thank our speakers. This has been really amazing. Um, uh just an amazing, uh, I must say we've done this program a number of times. Um, Dr. Maher, Dr. Fleischman have been on these programs before, and um, these have really been, we could go on all afternoon, but I realized we had said this would be a one-hour program, and so in keeping with that, um, I just want to thank our speakers for their time and expertise and, just, um, and also for our participants for asking such really great questions. And... Um, uh, and now I do want to address some of your concerns that you may have. So we're going to move on now um to just by wrapping up with um 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 and um
0: and moving
1: on to uh, just to wrap up. I'm gonna say a few words about cancer care services and then I'm going to address um the questions that some of you may have. So um, um uh, so i want to I thank you all. Thank our speakers very much and our participants. And um Next slide, please. So I just want to say a few words about cancer care services for all of you um, on the call, and then I want to comment about those of you who still have questions. So for those of you who still have questions, um, I would like you to um uh, know that um, we want you to go to your health care team um, for your help for any questions that you still have for those of you who asked questions for those of you who still have questions that didn't get a chance to ask, and for those of you who actually um um, are thinking of questions. Your healthcare team, of course, are your best, and that means both your oncology team and your um, eye care team, which we've heard about both the ophthalmologists on the team today. And uh, that's very important to go to them with your questions. They know you the best. They have your records, and that's really important. Um, also, we don't want don't want any one of you to feel like you're alone in coping with. Um, with cancer, we want you to now know that you're part of a community of support. And I want to review with you the services you can access from Cancer Care. So Cancer Care offers free um, support services, both um, on by calling our HOPE line, 1-800-813-4673, or visiting our website at www.cancercare.org. Um, you may either Ask your questions by calling the Hope Line and speaking to one of our oncology social workers, or you may visit our website and post your question there. So what do we do for people? Well, we offer practical and financial assistance. We have a co-payment assistance program and a case management program as well. We offer online support groups, um, and those groups are really great for everybody, all ages, all different types of cancer, um, all different types of concerns, younger adults, older adults. Um, middle-aged adults, um, whatever your concerns might be, you'll definitely find a group that would be helpful to you. We also have something we call wellness workshops, and people, those are national in scope, and many people find those very helpful. Many of them have to do with um, relaxation and mindful meditation exercises, which some people find very useful as well. And we offer these workshops, probably about 75 of them per year, and um, we do offer publications as well. So that gives you a thumbnail sketch of, a, of the services you can access from Cancer Care. During this time of COVID, we know that many of you are feeling a bit more isolated than you might um, ordinarily, and so we want you to know that um, that um, uh, that is a normal feeling to have, and that indeed um, you are simply a mouse click, a Zoom call, or a um, or a um, uh, telephone call away from getting help. And um, and our our staff are very adept at getting the services that you need. So again, I want to thank you all for your participation
0: today. And I want to wish you all a very fine day. Thank you all. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for your participation. This concludes the workshop. You may not disconnect. Everyone have a great day.